Good morning. Welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. We also want to offer a special welcome to those of you who may still be here after homecoming activities. We're glad to have you home and hope that you've had a wonderful weekend. Would you stand together and join with me in our call to worship? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Join me in prayer. O Lord, your word tells us that you give strength to your people, that you bless your people with peace, that you are our peace. Move among us today. And fill us with the peace of your presence. Amen.
want to invite you to take a moment to share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship this morning before you're seated. We do want to welcome you to our worship service today and uh, especially welcome those of you who are here for homecoming and for the uh, alumni weekend and family as well. And it's a great joy for you to be here in worship this morning. Just a couple of things I want to highlight uh, in the bulletin. Tonight our small groups uh, continue meeting. Koinonia does not meet tonight uh, because of the concert in the chapel at 6 o'clock. Uh, also, we are... Um, There's an insert in your bulletin about the food pantry. We have had the privilege of helping a number of families in the last couple of weeks uh, with food, but that also means that the cupboards are bare. And so we uh, we would love to, we need food to help uh, serve more people. So if you can contribute food or if you'd like to make a monetary donation, that would be appreciated. And uh, there's items listed here and you can bring them by the church office or send a contribution to the church and we'll make sure that gets to the right place. We are in, uh, in a couple of weeks into a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, one of the things that we're doing, and we'll talk about this more a little later, but we're connecting literal fruit to the spiritual fruit. And uh, one of the things that we're trying to do to help make this a little more memorable, a little more long-lasting, is we're creating a recipe book. Um, hopefully, most of the recipes will be from us. And so if you have a, a recipe or two or three that you'd like to, to contribute, there are sign-up sheets on the back table with specific fruits connected to those, and we'd love to have you contribute them. You can just uh, go back, sign your name, and maybe just a brief description of the recipe, and then we'll get that information from you in full later. There are always uh, prayer things for us to pray about. The uh, bulletin lists a number of people and situations, and we continue to ask for God's grace in, uh, in each of our lives and in his world, and that uh, as we pray, God would do miraculous things. I invite you to join me for the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Gracious Lord, we are far too often embroiled in conflict. We fight to get our own way. We wrestle for recognition. We argue in order to prove that we are right. We are typically more concerned with winning than with loving. Our attitude creates conflict, tension, much pain in the church. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Give us a new vision of the Prince of Peace. Open our hearts to the Holy Spirit that makes us more interested in compassion and grace than perfection and judgment. We ask this in confidence, knowing that you hear us and that you forgive us through the mercy of Christ. Amen.
Our Old Testament scripture reading is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to invite you now to stand and join in the singing of the doxology as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. Gracious God, daily you provide for all our needs. With thankful hearts, may we excel in the grace of giving for the work of your kingdom. Through Christ's name, amen.
divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to practice for a while when we pray together to invite those of you who would like to come to the altar and offer your prayers here at the altar rail. Sometimes the the posture of our prayer expresses uh, what we are praying and the desire of our hearts. And so as we pray together, if you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we thank you for the ways in which you are at work in our world and in our lives. We thank you for the miraculous and for the ordinary. We thank you for those unusual moments and for your presence in the day-to-day. We thank you for unexpected gifts of love and for the faithfulness of long-term relationships. We thank you for working in us in ways in which we can explain and the ways in which we cannot. We ask today that you will make us sensitive to your working in the world that we will see you in the gallery of all the wonders of every day. Father, as we come today, there are burdens and concerns that are on our hearts. People who are grieving, people who are in pain, people who are anxious and burdened 
and feeling overwhelmed with the difficulties and the struggles of living in this world. Lord, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Lord, we pray not only for ourselves and those who are close to us, but for the whole world. We think about our brothers and sisters in too many places of the world where they face not only opposition, but persecution and even death. We think of people who are recovering and grieving with recent terrorist attacks and natural disasters And we pray for your grace and your strength and peace to be in each of those circumstances. We pray for your work around the world. For those who have gone from home to share you with people in other places. Lord, for all of these concerns and in all of these circumstances, hear our prayers. Almighty and everlasting God, we acknowledge that you are always more ready to hear than than we are to pray. And more ready to give than we desire. We pray that you would pour out the abundance of your mercy and forgiveness, your grace and strength. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who in loving kindness teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading is found in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verses 13 through 19. Romans 14, 13 through 19. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. 
If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We tried an experiment a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're going to try it again today. I know that this might go against the grain of what you think about with church. Most of the time when we come to church, one of our 
one of the things in our modern culture is to uh, you know, silence your cell phone, put away your cell phone, don't even bring your cell phone. Uh, well, today we're going to use your cell phone, at least for a few minutes. So if you have a cell phone and you do texting, I want you to pull that out. And uh, we're going to use that. We're going to ask you a question and ask you to text a response to it. Now, you know, you've got to do the disclaimer, texting rates apply, and all of that that you see people do. Um, but I want you to think about this question. With whom do you tend to have the most conflict? Family, friends, co-workers, someone in the church, or someone else that doesn't fit those categories. And you're going to text to 22333 and you use one of the codes. Do we have a bigger picture of that that gives the codes a little, little uh, more clearly? Yeah, that's better. So the first one is family, then friends, then co-workers, then someone at church, and then other. All right, so let's take a, a minute or so to have you respond to that. And it's really hot up here, so I'm going to take my coat off. I realize there's a little bit of overlap. You know, your friends may be at church or your coworkers may be at church. But pick where you, you know, the, the situation that's, you would say, fits the most. This is about the same trend of answers that we've had in each of the services. And when you're done, now's the time to turn off your cell phone or put it away. (laughs) We don't want any of this stuff while we're going through church today. This is pretty pretty common. Uh, We are a... We've got it together as a church because we only have like about four of these answers for the whole morning. So we're perfect as a church, so I don't even know why we're dealing with this today. It's about family, you can tell. This was, and this is a trend. Family's by far the, the, the leader. And uh, co-workers and friends. In the second service, friends was a little higher. This service, uh, uh, co-workers a little bit higher. Other a little bit. But it's definitely family. And, and you would expect that because that's who we spend the most time with most of the time. So here's my question for you. When you think about that conflict, does it make you feel good about yourself? When you think about that conflict, does it, does it bring positive feelings to you? Are you happy about that conflict? Is it a positive thing for you? I would suspect we would say no. Most of the time, the conflict between family or friends or co-workers or in the church or in other situations, it's not something we relish. It's something we wish would change And it creates anxiety in us and difficulties in us and turmoil in us. Because we were not created for conflict. We were created to experience peace. And all throughout history, people have been trying to experience peace. 
And we do that in a variety of ways. And, that we, and we see some of that in the meanings of the word peace. In ancient cultures, the, the word peace was often, was often used in the sense of the elimination of conflict. I have peace in my heart. I have peace in my life because there is no conflict. I have finally gotten my life exactly in order. Everything is perfect. And I can just take a deep breath and that's peace. Well, first of all, if you have ever experienced life where everything is perfect, I want to talk to you afterwards about exactly how you did that. Because most of the time it's not. And even if we did have that brief moment where we think, okay, everything is right... It will only take seconds until it's not. But we yearn for that peace in our spirits, in our hearts, in our minds. That if life would just not have turmoil and conflict and chaos, we would feel peace. Now there is a sense of that that inner peace that we get from God. Scriptures tell us us that, that God sends Christ and Christ comes and goes to the cross in order to give us peace. It is through Christ that we know peace with God. But that peace with God is not the elimination of troubles in our life. It is peace with God in spite of all the troubles and the difficulties and the struggles of life. But it is still a sense of peace in the midst of that. And there is this deeper deeper sense in our hearts and souls that despite what is happening in life, God is there. And we can make it. We can get through. But there is another way of understanding peace. And I think that most of the time, the peace that the scripture speaks of is less about that inner sense with God, though that's foundational to it. But what we find the scriptures talking about over and over again is not so much what's inside of us as what comes out of us. And we find, we find the scriptures admonishing us about our relationships. We find the scriptures talking to us about how we live with each other. And the call to peace. Isaiah's prophecy that we read earlier describes Jesus as the Prince of Peace. When we come to the New Testament and it tells us about the birth of Christ, we hear words of peace on earth and goodwill to human beings. When we move on through the New Testament, just some samples. Paul writes in Romans 14 that we just read... Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. And he's talking about relationships in the church. In Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts so that you can display peace. That's what you're called to. And Hebrews says, make every effort to live in peace with all people and be holy. And we find the writer of Hebrews connecting living holy And being people who work for peace. And Paul writes in the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace. And I am convinced that at the heart of the fruit of the Spirit, what it means to walk in the Spirit, what it means to be embraced, to live in the Spirit, and to surrender to the Spirit is about relationships. The fruit coming out of us and affecting our relationships with each other. And peace is one of those dynamics. Now, we all know we wrestle to be people who work toward peace. And why is that? Well, right before Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the acts of the sinful nature. And among that list of things that we might suspect would be there, he says hatred, discord, dissensions, factions, conflict. The opposite of peace. That's the sinful nature. In Proverbs 6... uh, The writer says that there are six, no wait, there are seven things that God hates. And in this list, when you get to the end, he says, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. What is it about us that causes us to be people who stir up conflict in the community? Causes us to be people who create factions and dissension and anything but peace? I think there are some obstacles to peace that that we see in our lives and in our relationships. And one of them, probably foundational, is that we reject the fact that our faith is communal. We have a mindset that faith is just me and Jesus and no one else. And if other people are involved in my walk of faith, that's fine, but I can be a Christian without them. I'm okay without them. It's really, when you boil it down, it's just me and Jesus. And we see the church as peripheral. It's sort of an addendum to our faith. It's nice if it works, but you can take it or leave it. When we read the scriptures, we find that community is essential to faith development. Over and over and over again, our faith is described in terms of the community in which our faith is nurtured and in which our faith grows. If you don't really think that the church is all that important, if you don't think our relationship with other Christians is all that important, then why would you care about peace? It's just me and Jesus, so, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not important to us. I think another obstacle is our grasping for rights. You know, we want to get what we want. It's all about my rights. We hear this all the time in our culture and in society. And often, this is how the church addresses culture and society. We talk about Christian rights, which in my opinion is an oxymoron. Because when we become followers of Christ, we're giving up our rights. Because we follow the one about whom Paul said, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead took the nature of a servant and went to the cross. No one had the the right to grab his rights like Jesus. But instead of grabbing them, he emptied himself in order to accomplish what God called him, the Father called him to do. 
But we are enamored with rights. Often rights are the result of our fears. We're afraid that we're going to be taken advantage of. We're afraid that something's going to happen to us that we don't want to happen. And we, are, we live in a culture in which you get things done by power, by asserting your rights. And in the church, it's the opposite. It's about sacrifice. I also think one of the obstacles to peace is that we are more enamored with telling people what we think than listening to what other people have to say. You can't create peace when, all, when the whole mindset is, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. And we come to relationship, we come to discussions, we come to conversations without ever thinking, they might have something to teach me. There may be something that God is saying through them to me that I need to hear. But because we're so enamored with making sure they get our opinion, that they get our ideas, we spend all of our energy convincing them that we are right and probably that they are wrong. There is no place, no room in us for, to hear God through another person. I suspect there's something of that going on in our government right now. And the dysfunction that we see in Washington. Nobody comes thinking maybe there's something true about what they're saying. And of course that leads us to think about agendas. And the reason we talk so much is because we're so enamored with our agenda. We've got to get our agenda across. We're all about my agenda. We've got to make sure we do what I want to do. And we bring that into the church. We're going to make decisions based on what I want, what I think is most important. And there is no sense of what is the best for the common good. Or even more so, what is best for that person instead of just what I think is best for me. And when that's our mindset, who cares about peace? It's about getting what I want. And ultimately, that leads us to a mindset that we deny, but it's true, that the end justifies the means. We have this end in mind that we know is right, and it's, it's good, and it's about God. And whatever we have to do to get to that end is fair game. And if we have to trample people to get to the right end, so be it. If we have to use people to get to the right end, so be it. Because the point is, it's the end. And we've forgotten that God is all about the means. God's all about the process. Because if the process isn't right, if we aren't thinking about Christ in the way in which we are living our lives and the way we get to the end, we'll never get to the right end. God works in us in the process. And if it's all about about just getting to the end, peace has nothing to do with it. We'll trample people. In fact, this has been one of the issues of the church through the centuries. We even believe that violence is okay to get us to the right end. And you and I don't typically use violence in the same way that maybe the church has done through the centuries. But we do it in our own subtle ways. The letters we write, the way we talk to each other, or the way we ignore each other. The way we punish each other and judge each other. All of those are, are, are sort of hidden ways 
that we do violence to each other. Subtle ways. But they are just as destructive for us as much as anyone else. The solution then is to think about what removes the obstacles? What's the alternative? And I think when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is peace, I think he is echoing what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes when he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of us is a commitment to be peacemakers. Now, that's to start with the fruit in us. I mean, let's start with the Spirit in us, the Spirit working in us, the Spirit moving in us and, and controlling us. And the fruit comes out of us because of the Spirit in us. But our responsibility is to prepare and nurture the soil of our hearts so that when the Spirit plants the seeds of peace in us, they come up. Because if we don't want them to grow, they won't. It's an openness to the Spirit. So Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, every time I think about that particular beatitude, my mind goes back to the scene in Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Some of you may have seen that. You know, of course, Monty Python's out there, they're crazy, but it's a scene of reenacting the Sermon on the Mount and, and there's a group of people standing a long ways from Jesus and they can't hardly hear what he's saying and they're arguing about what he said and finally... Someone says, what did he say? And the guy in front of this couple turns around and says, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. And the woman says, blessed are the cheesemakers? What does that have to do with anything? Why, why the cheesemakers? And her husband says, well, it's not that you, t- you don't take that literally. I'm sure he means anyone who works in the dairy industry <laughs> at all, you know. And, and you, you watch that and you think, this is just stupid. It's ludicrous. I need to think about sitting there hearing Jesus in first century Palestine say, blessed are the peacemakers? Really? Jesus, you don't understand. In our world, things get done with power. Things get done because you have the might. Things get done because you will do anything that you need to do to get them done. Peacemakers, that's how you get blessed? You just don't understand how things work. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, how often we get sucked into the trap of believing things get done in our world, things get done in the church because of power, because of our rights, because of all the ways in which we get what we want instead of being peacemakers. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers... For they will be called the children of God. And I read a number of years ago, someone said, what he's really saying is peacemaking is the family business. You're a child of God. You're a peacemaker. It's what you do. When the Spirit is in you, when you're committed to the way of Christ, you're a peacemaker. It's a passion you have. It's a desire in your life that you want to be a peacemaker. Are we perfect at it? Of course not. But something in us has to desire to want to be a peacemaker. So how do we do that? What does it look like? 
How do we cultivate peace in the soil of our hearts? In his book, Life on the Vine, Philip Kennison says that for one thing, we need to remember our baptism. Now, for a lot of us, that's kind of an odd way to talk because we don't think in those terms about baptism being something that we connect to our everyday lives. It's an event we went through at one point in our lives, and we sort of leave it there. And we don't think that much about it until maybe we witness someone else's baptism. But the reality is, when we are baptized, we are declaring, I'm dying to self. And it's all about Jesus. And you will hear in our church, as people share their testimony, as they're baptized, you will hear people say over and over again, this is about what God has done in my life. And I want to surrender my life to him now and forever. And it's so easy for us to forget that. We, when we remember our baptism, we're reminding ourselves that being a follower of Jesus is about dying to self. It's about sacrifice. It's about giving ourselves away that baptism symbolizes. He says we ought to encourage one another. Our natural inclination in a lot of our conflicting circumstances, and especially with people with whom we have a conflict, is not to encourage them. It's to find everything we can to nitpick at them and to judge them. And to let them know we're right and they're wrong. But peacemakers keep thinking, how can I speak a word of encouragement to this person? How can I build them up? In what ways can I pray for God to bless them? And then we admonish one another. That may seem out of place, Because encouragement and admonishment seem like opposite sides of the same thing. But they're not. Because if we love people and we see them running toward destruction, we do something about it. Now here's the catch. We do something about it in the right spirit. Because often our admonitions are out of a spirit of hate or anger or frustration or making sure that, that people know they're wrong and we're right. But that's not biblical admonitions. Admonitions in the biblical peacemaking sense are always rooted in our love for one another and our compassion for each other and wanting what's best for each other. And probably the most profound means of being a peacemaker is forgiving one another. Now we're talking about some hard stuff. We come to conflict, we come to relationships with a spirit of forgiveness. You know, often when we think about peacemaking, we have this image in our minds of standing between two conflicting parties. And we are the mediator in this conflict. And sometimes we end up in those roles. Sometimes we are in a role where we are in the middle and trying to mediate two groups of people or two people who are not getting it, not getting along, they're in conflict, and we get in those roles. But most of the time, when the scripture is talking about caring about peace, working for peace, and we talk about being a peacemaker, most of the time, we're a part of the conflict. We might have even started the conflict. At the very least, we've thrown gasoline on the conflict. 
We have to take responsibility for making it worse and not better. And being a peacemaker is acknowledging our role and asking forgiveness. And forgiving others whether they ask us or not. Praying for God to give us grace to forgive them. But this role of, of forgiving one another, start. We have, as peacemakers, we start it. We take the first step. Remember what Jesus says, if you're praying at the altar one day and you realize that you have something against another person, go make it right. No, actually, that's not what he says. He says, if you're praying at the altar and you remember somebody has something against you, you go make it right. You go take the first step. Because that's what peacemaking is about. It's about taking that first step, going to people and saying, whatever I have done to make this situation worse, please forgive me. Forgive me that I didn't even realize I was doing it. Forgive me that I was blind to it. Forgive me for whatever has happened. That I, that's my role in this. Forgive me. You talk about vulnerability. That's vulnerability. Because the people who, to whom we go might say to us, hey, that, thank you. Please forgive me. And it ends up perfect. It's awesome. But they might not. They might turn around and walk away from us. They might figuratively spit in our faces. But that's not, we're not called, we can't do anything about that. We're just called to take that initial step of peacemaking. To ask forgiveness. To start it. To begin. You know, there's... Ever since sin entered the world, there's been a conflict between God and us, separation between us. And the truth is, God didn't have anything to do with it. We're a culprit. We, we are culpable for the whole thing. All of it's on us. Every bit of it is on us. But when reconciliation, steps of reconciliation are taken, who starts it? God does. Again and again and again. And ultimately to the cross. This is one of the hardest things in the world for me to talk about because I know my struggle with being willing to take first steps about forgiveness. And I suspect you're not all that different than me. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard because it feels like we're losing. It feels like we're in a position of weakness. And we know what our culture and society does when they smell weakness. And it feels like we're going to get trampled on. And we may well. Because it's dangerous being a peacemaker. You can get hurt being a peacemaker. But it's the fruit of the Spirit in each of our lives. Go back to that first question that we answered. And you think about the conflict that came to your mind 
as you were pondering that question. What might God be saying to you about being a peacemaker? Please pray with me. Father, speak to us in this moment of silence. Lord, we pray that you will give us a passion to be peacemakers through your spirit. Work in our hearts. Work in our minds. Give us grace and strength and everything we need that the fruit of your spirit would be seen in us as your children. We're living out the family business. Through the grace of Christ. Amen. There are three things that I want to offer to you in ways that you might respond to what God may be saying to you. One of them is these little cards. There are cards at the outside end in the middle of each of your rows. And I want you to pass those to the people who are seated in your row. Make sure everyone gets one. I mentioned that we are looking at the connecting a literal fruit to the fruit of the Spirit. And today, if you look in the back, you can see that on the facing of the balcony, there's strawberries for love and watermelons for joy. Think about picnic and having fun eating that. And today it's the pear. And there are a couple of reasons why we picked the pear for peace. Uh, yeah, one of them is you can spell pear, P-A-I-R, and it has a pear. And so you're talking about two people who might be in conflict with each other. But the other thing is that the pear is, it, it's sort of, the, it's a kind of fruit that's usually, it's not too tart, it's not too sweet. And it's usually not the center of the dish. You know, it, it's usually the complement to the dish. And that's what peacemakers are. We're not looking for recognition. We're just trying to be the presence of God to bring peace. To influence for peace. So what I want you to do is today, I would encourage you to do it today. Take this card and write something on it that God may be speaking to you about. Maybe a person's name, might be a situation. It might be something. Whatever God is saying to you, write it on there and keep that in front of you this week. I want to challenge us to take five minutes every day to pray for God to cultivate a spirit of peace in each of our lives. To give us a passion about being peacemakers. Whatever that may mean for each one of us. 
And this morning, if, if you're sitting there thinking, I really need to do something about what I'm feeling right now. Immediately after the service, some of the elders, some of the pastoral staff will be downstairs by the prayer room and they're there to listen to you and to pray with you if you would like to do that today. Sometimes the moment is right now and you need to take advantage of that. So as soon as the service is done, you can go right down the back steps and then down to the basement, right there's the prayer room and and there are people there who will pray for you, listen to you and, and, and give you an opportunity to settle some things right now this morning as we conclude our worship. Let me invite you to stand as we sing together the closing hymn, praying, may the mind of Christ my Savior. Receive the benediction. May the God of peace fill you with his peace, that you may be makers, sharers of his peace.
Amen.